0: Today we are beginning a new series of studies for the next few Sunday mornings. This will take us through to the end of November in Thanksgiving. And our new series of studies is entitled Pumpkins, Parables and Thanksgiving. And so we are spending these Sundays exploring together the parables of Jesus. Most of us will be familiar with a number of the parables, but over these next few weeks, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to immerse ourselves more and more into the parables and come to a greater understanding of all that Jesus was teaching as He creates in a wonderful method of communication the parables. And so we're beginning this morning with Matthew chapter 25, and you'll find it page 1541 of the Church Bible. There's a fairly lengthy passage of scripture this morning. So Please be patient with me as we look at the parables of the talents. Jesus has been teaching, and his teaching takes place during the week between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. And there's a distinct possibility that he's teaching this parable in the temple. And so having taught on one parable, we break into the chapter with these words. Again, It will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also, the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents, see... And faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, "'You wicked, lazy servant. "'So you knew that I had harvested where I had not sown "'and gathered where I had not scattered seed? "'Well then, you should have put the money on deposit with the bankers "'so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. "'Take the talents from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents.' For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from his holy word. I wanted to begin this morning with taking the theme of parable and likewise creating a story. A police officer calls into dispatch that he has an interesting case in front of him, and this is what he says. I have an older lady who shot at her husband for stepping on the floor she had just washed for the third time. And the dispatch comes back and says, Have you arrested the old lady? The officer said, Not yet. The floor is still wet. Now, of course, we smile at that because in our minds we're imagining it taking place. And likewise with parables. When Jesus constructs a parable, he invites us to enter into the parable with him, see its relevance and pertinence, And then eventually, he invites us to see ourselves in a similar situation. And over these next six or seven weeks together, that's exactly what we're going to do. As we begin to immerse ourselves in the parables week by week, we'll be asking two questions. How do they relate to life in the 21st century? And what is the message in each parable that I can apply to my life as I seek to grow in my relationship with him and seek to live out my faith week by week? Now the parables are, of course, as most of you know, some of the most influential teaching of Jesus are contained in the parables. They hold within them a vitality, a relevance, and an impact of the teaching of Jesus that is found in not too many other places. The parables are well known. We've been remembering them for centuries. And as I said earlier, he creates a world in parable. He invites us to participate in it. And it's hard to exaggerate the importance of the teaching of the parables. Now as you look at the breadth of the parables, there are characteristics or patterns that come to the fore fairly regularly. The parables are brief. They are marked by simplicity and symmetry. They mainly focus on people. And yet within each parable, you will find two or three different movements taking place, happening all at the same time. And we're going to see that characteristic certainly in our parable of the talents today and in subsequent Sundays as well. There are fictional descriptions taken from everyday life. And I think that's why we enjoy them so much. They're always engaging And create interest. And almost as you're reading the parables, I can sense myself leaning in to find out what happens. How does the narrative develop? How does it end? Because we always want to know how it ends because the climax of the parable is usually at the end. It's like good humor. The punchline comes at the end and then the rest of it makes sense. Likewise with the parables. Parables. Now, having said that, the parables make up 35% of Jesus' teaching. That's a lot. Luke contains 24 of them. Matthew 23. Mark contains 8 some New Testament scholars will say, well, actually, Luke only contains 21. Others will say 25. But in a broad sense, because parabolic language is found throughout the Gospels. But in an overall sense, these are reasonably accurate reflections of the teaching of the parables. But interestingly, in John's Gospel, there are none which is fascinating for scholars of the New Testament when Luke, Matthew and Mark goes to all of this trouble to contain the parables of Jesus and John doesn't. And we'll touch on that in subsequent Sundays. Having said all of that, let's look at the parable of the talents. Matthew 25 focuses on three parables in fact so if you have your bible turn back to the beginning of the chapter and you're going to see the parable of the ten virgins and that takes us from verse 1 to verse 13 then you're going to see the parables of the talents verses 14 to 30 then to finish the chapter you see the parable of the sheep and the sheep and the goats And so Matthew doesn't only give you one parable, but he groups the parables and reminds us of the teaching of Jesus with three of them in a row in chapter 25. They're also found in chapter 13, chapter 18, and between chapters 20 and 25, you find most of the parables in Matthew's Gospel. Now, you may well be saying, okay, Richard, I understand at the beginning of a new series on whatever the subject's going to be, you always take an extra few minutes to set the context, introduce the topic, and I see that. But Richard, what would really help me at the outset of this new study on the parables would be this. Please give me... A fairly straightforward, accessible definition of what a parable actually is. Now, I know you've given us the characteristics and patterns. I know you've highlighted their importance. I know that you have mentioned several things relating to the parables. But give me a definition so I can have it running through my mind as we move forward in these parables. Well, here is a fairly simple, straightforward definition. Now, not all New Testament scholars, by any stretch of the imagination, would agree on this, but it's a helpful working definition. And so when you think of parable, think of earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's exactly what we see in this, the first of the parables we are going to look at. And the other thing that would be helpful for you as we begin to look in detail at this parable is, and I suspect some of you are there already, and you're asking, Richard, how much is what we see here a talent? So I can at least get in my mind a vision of what's actually unfolding in front of us. Well you'll be surprised to hear New Testament scholars don't all agree. But most would say a talent is somewhere between a thousand dollars and four thousand dollars. Now that's a huge range, but somewhere in the middle. But the point is, it's a lot of money and certainly was a lot of money in the first century. So that gives you a sense of what's going on. And when the parable is told by Jesus. Notice how he begins. A man was going on a journey, and he called the servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Now let me pause right there. The individuals in this parable, at least the first two, are individuals I think that we would warm to. Individuals that the master has chosen, given talents, because he trusts them. Certainly the first two servants are individuals I think we would trust. Now if you have discovered a leak in your roof at home and water is coming in, you want someone you can trust to repair or renew that section of the roof. You want someone who's going to come when they say they're going to come. You want them to start on the project when they say they're going to start on the project. You want them to finish it as quickly as possible. But you want the repair or the renewal of that section to have quality. You don't want to constantly call back a roof repair company. You want a contractor you can trust. Likewise. In this parable, the master wants servants he can trust, and clearly he can trust these folks. And if you've ever had a position of responsibility, and that can be anywhere from getting children up in the morning to getting them off to school and making sure that they're there on time, they've completed their homework, they've had their breakfast, they've gone to bed the night before, there's a lot of moving parts there. If you run a department for your company or a small business, or you run a large company, that's a lot of responsibility. And you know what it means to find yourself in situations where it demands effort, it demands investment, it demands that you face, from time to time, difficult decisions. It means you're able to adjust in the midst of unforeseen setbacks and difficulties and deadlines and criticism, conflicts, financial pressures. And that's exactly what the master expected of each of his servants. He wanted them to take what they'd been given, invest it, make it work for him, and He believed he could trust these two servants. As it turned out, the first two were right. The third well not so much. Please notice, and if you haven't underlined this in your Bible or put a tick in the margin, please do so at the end of chapter five excuse me, at the end of verse fifteen. Notice how fifteen reads To one he gave five talents of money, to the other two talents, and another one talent, each according to His ability. Now, why is that important? Each according to his ability. When God looks at you and I, He knows our hopes, our dreams, our passionate longings for ourselves and our children, and He gives to us abilities and gifts. And he expects us to enjoy life in all of its fullness. He expects us to enjoy the wonders of his created order. He expects us to enjoy our working environment. He expects us to enjoy leisure time. He expects us to enjoy falling in love, raising children, having grandchildren. He expects us to enjoy promotion at work and the things in our lives that define us. And he gives us the gifts and the talents and abilities to live out life to its fullest. But in addition to all of that comes responsibility. The responsibility is that we respond faithfully to all that he has given us. And that's the key to unlock this parable. This is primarily a parable about faithfulness. It's not a parable about earnings, although that has a secondary meaning in there. But its primary purpose is faithfulness. And when God looks at us, he takes, as the scriptures tell us, ordinary, everyday people. And from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, you see again and again and again that God delights to take ordinary everyday people, to refine them and fashion them, to put His Spirit upon them, to transform them, that they might live out their faith in all of its fullness and enjoy life in all of its fullness. But in so doing, he expects us to be faithful. Faithful in prayer. Faithful in moral and spiritual standards. Faithful in purity and holiness. Faithfulness in following him day by day by day. And he delights to take ordinary everyday people and turn them into something pretty special. And you see it all over the place. And in the midst of all of this, we see the first two servants doing exactly that. And how does he respond to, them? respond to them? When they take those talents, they faithfully put them to work. He says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You had what was given to you and you made it something extra special. That's exactly what's going on here. And then the master returns And we kind of jump from the first half of the parable right down to verse 22. And we see that each of the servants come to him. The one with five say, Master, I put it to work. I now have ten. Well done. Good. And the faithful servant. Likewise with the servant with two. And then you have the third servant. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't respond faithfully. And that does not end well for the third servant. The others have responded to the master's responsibility that he has given them. And I suspect some of you are already thinking, Now, Richard, doesn't this sound pretty similar to an event back in Matthew 14 when you had the feeding of the 5,000 and a wee boy stepped forward with loaves and fish? A wee boy wasn't a natural leader, wasn't someone with extraordinary gifts. But what he had, he brought, put it at the disposal of Christ, who blessed it, multiplied it, and it made a huge difference. That's the other theme that runs through this parable Sadly, the third servant does none of that. He, in fact, does the opposite. And he uses, I think, and the passage is clear on this, a trumped-up excuse. And he says, Master, I know that you would seek to harvest where you have not sown. And when he gives this excuse, the master says to him, Really, that's what you think of me? You think that's how I would go about my business? And he takes the talent back. And he says to him, Lazy? Useless? What on earth were you thinking? A couple of months back I was reading a political biography and about halfway through the book was a chapter entitled, The Wasted Years. And I thought, wow, what a heading for a chapter. So I was flicking through the book after reading the first couple of chapters. I immediately stopped and thought, wow, what are the wasted years? What happened there? And that phrase, the wasted years, could easily apply to the third servant here in the parable. As apathy, indifference began to dominate his life. Recently when we were looking at the Ten Commandments, I mentioned that sometimes when temptation comes to us, it is often slow, subtle, silent. And I think that phrase sums up This third servant, the temptation to do nothing, to not bother, to make no effort, was subtle, slow, and silent. And it turned into apathy and indifference. And often with apathy and indifference comes cynicism, constantly critical of others and what they're doing. But quietly sitting back, doing very little, and demonstrating criticism, cynicism. It's never going to work. It's never going to go anywhere. What's the point? And I suspect that's exactly the attitude of the third servant. Wasted years. And not only did he waste his own time, He missed out on the blessing of God, what it means to walk with Him each day, to hear Him answer prayer, for Him to enable and strengthen and equip us to live out our faith. He missed out on all of that. Awfully sad. What could have been? Now you may be saying, okay, Richard, I hear what you're saying. I think I've got it. And... I understand how this parable applies to me as an individual. That I should be faithful to all that God has given me. I should be faithful in living out my faith day by day by day in every aspect of my life. I see that. I should enjoy life to the full, investing all I can, my energy, my thoughts, my prayers, into every aspect of my life, that I might enjoy it in all of its wonder and fullness. I think I get that. But Richard, this is Commitment Sunday. How does that apply to us as a congregation on this little corner of Washington and Richardson? How does that apply to us as a church today? Well, let me see if I can explain. Most of you are aware that over the last 14 months or so, we have been busy with campus redevelopment. And you see the progress. I see it almost daily, in fact. And between now and the end of March, we are going to take possession of a new worship and arts center that will seat a thousand people. We're in the process of putting together a new gymnasium with three basketball courts, congregational gathering area, a new youth floor, bookstore, coffee shop, children's area, and that children's area will come to us, as you saw from the announcements, in a couple of weeks' time. Those who have been through it are telling me it's very impressive and I honestly can't wait to see it. But I'm waiting till it's finished, which is causing me endless heartache because I want to go in there and peek. And I've decided not to. I'll wait till it's finished so I can see the, the whole impact of the thing. And not only will the children's area be ready, but late March, as I said, early April will take possession of the new facilities. And 2022 for us will be an exciting year. It will move us to a whole new level of ministry. Endless opportunities to have an impact and influence right here in our downtown. Major city, growing and developing so fast we can't keep up. And we saw that last Sunday. And in addition to all of the new facilities, here is the thing that excites me the most. And I mentioned this last week. That we will continue to provide for this community and the rest of the city of Greenville a secure spiritual home. A place where they can gather for worship. A place where we can engage with the living God. Our ministries will continue to be life-giving and life-affirming from nine-year-olds all the way through to 90-year-olds. Thirdly, we'll be a place of learning and growth. We'll also be a place that develops intergenerational engagement and relational connectedness. Now let me give you a simple example of that. I was chatting with an older man last week and he said to me, Richard, I really don't know why God is keeping me here on earth. I would much rather go to heaven, be with the rest of my family, and my wife. He said, I'm so old now, I have no useful purpose day by day. I had to remind him that when he comes on a Sunday morning, It's the people who sit in front and behind and on either side. It's the children who pass him in the corridor, look to him and will metaphorically say to themselves, I want to be like that when I grow up. I want to be faithful. I want to be prayerful. I want to show consistency in my Christian life. Please don't ever give in to the belief that you've nothing to offer. Simply being here makes a difference. That's the point. We develop intentionally intergenerational engagement and relational connectedness. Just by being here, never mind the relationships we initiate and sustain, and we will intentionally prepare and equip us to live out our faith day by day by day, because God has called us to be at this corner of Washington and Richardson. He has given us the opportunity to flourish and grow and develop and be a vital part of this community in the spiritual heart of this city. That's us. That's what He's called us to. And on this Commitment Sunday... That's where we are as a congregation. I would have to tell you, I could not be more excited than I am for our future. The rest of our staff believe it too. I sense it coming from you as well. Back in 2018, I had visited Washington, D.C. and was speaking to a police officer. And in overhearing my thick southern accent, he said to me, Now, where are you from? And I said, I'm from South Carolina, and he looked at me, and I could see the wheels turning, and I could see him saying to himself, now with all of my professional training and all of my interaction with the public, I don't think you're from South Carolina originally. And so eventually he said, where are you from originally? And we got talking. And then he asked me the question that I get probably more than any other question. I've mentioned this before. And he said to me, what is the most surprising thing about living in the United States? And I responded, as I always do, the most surprising thing about life in the United States is the people. As a nation, as a people, as individuals, we are absolutely convinced If we pray long enough, work hard enough, roll up our sleeves, we are capable of doing spectacular things. Spectacular things. Extraordinary things. And right here at this corner of Washington and Richardson, God is at work. God is at work. We see it in our new building. We see it in the rise of focus on discipleship. We see it as the gospel impacts and transforms life. We see it Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. And I am convinced of this. You are the kind of people, if given the five talents, would turn them into ten. If given two, you would turn them into four. Because you sense his call in your life. You respond in that manner. And we have the opportunity to have a spiritual impact in this city that few have. And that's how it applies to us on this Commitment Sunday. Let me close with a quote we closed with last Sunday. You'll remember it. It's familiar to you. Comes from Darrell Gooder. Darrell is a missionologist and a first class Christian writer, and he compares the twenty first century church and the first century church, and this is what he says. He says the one is more or less passive, yielding to influences from outside. The other is active, influencing, rather than being influenced. The one looks to the past, the other to the future. The one is anxious, the other is prepared to take risks. The one guards boundaries, the other crosses them. That's us, willing to take a risk, willing to make a difference, willing to step up and say, I want to be part of something that is once in a generation and will impact our city with the gospel. And I can't help but wonder that in the midst of this stewardship season and this Commitment Sunday, as God looks upon us, I suspect He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your consistent faithfulness towards us. And thank you for the reminder from this parable this morning that you bless us in so many ways. And on this Commitment Sunday, as we respond to your call upon our lives and respond in a very practical way, enable each of us to give thanks for the talents that you have given us and enable us to put them to work for you here in the life of this congregation. Father, thank you for your grace towards us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.